What are your house rules? Maybe you have them hanging on your wall. It's a very popular decoration right now to hang a sign that says something like, in this family we do hugs, we do second chances, we do mistakes, we do forgiveness, we do honesty, we do laughter, we do real, we do love. These signs and whatever other ways we communicate our house rules also communicate our values those things that we hold most important for our life together. In our story today, Jesus gives some house rules for how to resolve conflict in our communities. Matthew 18, verses 15 through 20, tells us that Jesus says, If another member of the church sins against you, go and point out the fault when the two of you are alone. If the member listens to you, you have regained that one. But if you are not listened to, Take two, excuse me, take one or two others along with you so that every word may be confirmed by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If the member refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if the offender refuses to listen even to the church, let such a one be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly, I tell you, if two of you agree on earth about anything you ask, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there among them. Jesus is giving us his own version of that uh, decor sign. He's saying in God's family, we do conversation. We do relationship. We do community. We do listening We do forgiveness. We do grace. In a time when cancel culture is the name of the game, this is a radically different approach to community. Cancel culture is the popular practice of withdrawing support for or canceling public figures and companies after they have done or said something objectionable or offensive. Generally, cancel Cancel culture is performed on social media in the form of group shaming. So um, a popular brand makes a really unthoughtful um, racist remark or advertising uh, slogan or um, commercial. And the community on social media then piles on top of them, calling them to change what they've created, uh, take back what they said, or encourage others to not support them anymore, right? They're canceled. But this is the exact opposite of what Jesus is intending. Cancel culture will tell us to just leave those who have sinned against us, to leave them behind or cast them out. But Jesus invites us to call each other in, to come into relationship, to come into newness of life and into love. Because in God's family, in God's household, there is no such thing as cancel culture. The way we act in relationship and community reflects what we believe about God and Jesus. So if we're in the habit of expelling, dismissing, and then ignoring people with whom we don't get along, we are contributing to the fractures in our society 
and giving a false message about the one we claim to follow. And these actions have the power to affect God's kingdom in a significant way. The world is quick to cancel people and relationships. But Jesus' guidance reminds us that these are not decisions to be taken lightly. The the decision of the community at the point of expelling a member resonates in the heavens. Remember a few weeks ago when Jesus tells Peter about the power of binding and loosening as they're talking about building a community on Jesus' identity? In that earlier verse, there's a synchronicity between heaven and earth, between our actions and God's actions. So here, too, Jesus reminds us that whatever we bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever we loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And often we think that these are really, like, specific church tasks, right? These verses have been used in church discipline, and so you might say, well, Pastor Megan and Pastor Nate, these are verses for you and the counsel to follow if someone really hurts our community. And while that's true, it can be a good model, and it is a good model for those kinds of things, we also bind and loose things every day, usually unconsciously. We bind and loose related to our worldviews and values and life scripts. Binding and loosening aren't just about church doctrines or theology, but it's about where we shop and why we shop there. The neighborhoods where we buy houses and our decisions to turn some people into friends and others into enemies, some into heroes and others into terrorists. And this constant activity sets in place and creates relationships, for better or for worse, which, according to this section of scripture, even the powers of heaven may not be able to undo. So it invites us to take a look at the values that we want to cultivate in our lives of following Jesus. It invites us to take a look at what we want to pass on to the next generation of believers, how we can contribute right now to the flourishing of God's family and household so that it echoes in heaven. So how do we do that? How do we make those decisions? How do we um, live differently in this world of cancel culture? Well, one way is to take the Eighth Commandment seriously. Now, you probably have them memorized, but I had to look in my small catechism. And the Eighth Commandment says, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Okay. Shouldn't lie. Got it. Great. What in the world does this have to do with this passage? Well, Luther expands on this, and this is the part that gets more challenging. Luther explains that we are to fear and love God so that we do not betray, slander, or lie about our neighbor, but defend them, speak well of them, and explain their actions in the kindest way. Not lying is one thing. Most of us can manage to not lie about the people around us. But speaking well of those with whom we have significant differences significant disagreements, speaking well of people who have hurt us, who have sinned against us, that's harder. 
and then asking us to explain their actions in the kindest possible way, it can seem almost impossible. And yet, this is part of that binding and loosening and relationship building that has effects on God's kingdom and God's household. So this week, I want to challenge you to take about five minutes and do this exercise. First, write down the name of a neighbor with whom you struggle. Now, this could be a literal neighbor. It could be someone in your household. Martin Luther says that those in our household are our closest neighbors. So your spouse, your kids, your roommates, um, your extended family, right? It could be um, a public personality. It could be uh, someone that you know from the internet. Uh, There's a wide range of who our neighbor is, right? Choose someone that uh, you maybe would like to think differently about. Then, I want you to write down a situation that, or interaction that you've had with this person that has been frustrating or difficult. Finally, take time to look at that situation and to write down an explanation of their actions in the kindest possible light. So, for example, let's say my husband and I got into an argument over him not unloading the dishwasher in a timely manner. Not saying we've ever had that argument, but let's pretend. And uh, we went back and forth about whose turn it was and why he should do it and why I shouldn't have to do it and all of these things. And it it ends up that maybe we said some things that, that we didn't really mean. Or maybe I said, gosh, you're so lazy. Why can't you do this more the way I want it? Right? Or maybe he said to me, um, you have such high expectations. I can't meet all of the um, expectations and tasks that you think I should be doing. Right? Okay. Details aside. Pretend um, I made that comment about uh, laziness. I would write that down. I would write it all down. And then I would say... Okay, why didn't he unload the dishwasher like I wanted him to? He's had a lot of meetings at work. He's been working hard at the church. That's pretty important. It's more important than the dishwasher. Okay. Or maybe uh, the time that I thought he should be unloading the dishwasher, he was in the other room reading books with the kids. Well, that's way more important than the dishwasher. So maybe his priorities are just in different places. Okay. Right? Do you see how this works? Uh, thinking about their actions in the best possible light. He, he maybe wasn't even trying to hurt me. Maybe he just forgot. Imagine that. Right? So uh, it's kind of a silly example, but you get what I'm trying to say, I think. Uh, And then practice speaking well of that person. 
so list the qualities that you could mention the next time their name comes up, right? Even if it's as simple as, um, yep, yep. And that person is a child of God too, right? If we can't think of anything else, maybe the one good thing we can say about that person is that they are also a child of God. Cancel culture is pervasive, and it gives us easy permission and excuses to dismiss one another and continue this pattern of fracture that we see day after day after day deepening and widening. In this passage, Jesus is calling us into conversation and confrontation for the sake of the gospel. Just before this, Jesus tells the story of the shepherd who chases after the one sheep and leaves the 99 behind. And just before that, Jesus talks about the children being welcomed into the kingdom and that God does not want to lose one single child. This guidance of how to go through conflict, these house rules for God's household, are an invitation to come back to the flock, to come back into community in a positive way. And it's challenging work. It's so difficult to do, especially in a culture that is focused on canceling and divisiveness and fracture. But the good news is that when we work on calling one another back into newness and wholeness of life, those efforts not only affect you and that other person, but it ripples out to reach the rest of our congregation, our community, our state, our nation, the world, the heavens, right? That, that ripple effect. Relationships are challenging. But to borrow from author Brene Brown, we are imperfect. We are wired for struggle and we are worthy of love and belonging. We have a place in God's household and so do the others that we interact with. And so let's take hold of the truth that while we are imperfect, while we struggle, that we are also worthy of love and belonging in God's household. And the same is true for our neighbors. Thanks be to God. Amen.